Good afternoon. It is Saturday, the 30th of July. You're listening to the Nick Holt podcast live today on Twitter. Special live edition it is. Uh, John Ruddock is going to be joining me in just a moment. John, of course, is was the lead Senate candidate for New South Wales for the Liberal Democrat Party. Uh, we're going to be talking today about the vaccine program that the government told us well, essentially was impenetrable, uh, safe and effective. Nothing can go wrong. Get this vaccine and the pandemic will be over. Uh, that's not really true, is it? And John and I are going to be talking about why that's not true uh, and some of the big lies that have been told during these latest weeks and months concerning that uh, vaccine. We'll also be talking about the need for, and this of course is going to roll on from the vaccines, the need for a Royal Commission into the uh, political response to COVID-19, starting as far as I'm concerned, uh, right back from January 2020. Then we'll finish the show by having a bit of a chat about US politics. Will it be Ron or will it be Don? I think a lot of you know my position on this. Uh, I'm always willing to have my mind changed. Uh, we're going to be discussing whether or not Donald Trump should run for president again, if he indeed does run, or if he should hand that baton over to Ron DeSantis. Just a reminder also that on my Substack, nickholt.substack.com, you can subscribe today. It is the last day for this to receive 20% off uh, all paid subscription from this point until next July 2023. Uh, there is quite a bit of free content on there at the moment that I've put up there in the last six months to nine months, but obviously, uh, you know, we don't live in a socialist utopian fantasy and I need to get my uh, $2,000 haircuts more often. So please subscribe and share that if you can. I'm going to bring John Ruddick into the conversation right now. John, thanks a lot for joining me. Good to have you Good back. Day, Good to see you, mate. Thanks very much for having me. Always a pleasure to have you on, mate. Uh, let's dive right into it. What's happening with the vaccine? Okay, well, look, the first thing I want to say, Nick, is that there are a lot of sheep out there who just basically go along with whatever the latest narrative is. And they say people like, you know, John Ruddick, Nick Holt, you're not epidemiologists. We only listen to to experts. You're not one, so we won't listen to you. But the bottom line is you only need to be an expert in one field to understand what is going on, and that is the subject of called English, okay, <laughs> because this is staring at staring us in the face that we are dealing with a massive failure the one of the world's biggest programs arguably the world's first big globalized program and it's been a big a smashing failure i just want to go through a few points you will remember COVID comes into our world in february 2020 uh they it, it was a bad flu i know two people who've been to hospital with it so you know we're not we're not we're not COVID deniers uh, but the, we certainly we certainly can look back and say they certainly magnified it 20-fold from what it was. So they made it extremely bad when it was just sort of run-of-the-mill bad. Uh, you know, much worse than the average flu. Uh, and then they had to be our saviours. <clears throat> and how are they going to be our saviours? Of course, the pharmaceutical industry and the vaccines. And then they rushed them to market. They called them, uh, um, at least they were honest in this, warp speed vaccines. Now, I, I worked for a big pharmaceutical company for a few months um, in the late 1990s as a, in government relations. I was probably their worst ever employee, Pfizer. 
And the thing they used to drill into our heads all the time is, you know, for every sort of 50 concepts of a new drug that come along, only one gets to market after 10 years because of side effects. And you don't want to rush these things. But no, 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 no. With this one, we had to rush it. We had to rush it to market. And not only did we rush it to market, they all told us it's a brand new type of vaccine, the mm. mRNA. Now, I don't know what that means is, but they told us, this is why I say you only need to understand the English language, Nick. They told us, oh, it's totally brand new. It's never been done before. Okay, but it's really good. It's really good. And it may well be really good. Okay, but they did tell us it's brand new and it's rushed to market. And then they said all around the world, no liability. Now, there should have been some warning like warning bells going off when they when these big pharmaceutical companies demanded that the government and the corporate media give them endless promotion and they all said it's the world's greatest vaccine but mm. no 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 they don't want any liability okay they used to have that protection in the united states uh but then it went globalized okay so lots of upside no downside for the for some of the world's biggest companies and then you'll remember nick there was the, the whole push at the beginning of the vaccine thing if you don't take it you're selfish Okay, yep. well, I've never, heard that. I've never heard that before with the vaccine. Okay, I always thought the vaccine was beneficial to you. Okay, so if you didn't want to take it, well, then you were probably just foolish. But no, mm. no, 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 on this one, it was different. And also what was different on this one is you had to publicise it. You know, you're on social media, Nick, you would have seen a million people say, oh, here's my fourth jab. I've just taken my fourth jab. Look at me, world. Look at me. I don't, nobody's ever had the impulse to do that prior to the, this COVID vaccine thing. Now, Probably the most damning thing about the whole program is that in the beginning of 2021, all the all the world's most important people in this program, uh, Joe Biden, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Bricks, the head of the CDC, people all around the world, they all told us, and they didn't say it once, they said it emphatically, one vaccine, you won't catch COVID, you won't get COVID, you definitely won't die of COVID. That's what they all told us repeatedly and emphatically. One vaccine, that's how good it was. It's all on video, thank you. And the, uh, you know, but then that be that became, oh, well, now you need two. That quickly became three. Now we're up to four. And uh, and, and and along the way, we were told, um, uh, oh, well, you can still catch it if you get the vaccine, okay? And you st still can get sick and die, okay? Now, I mean, the anecdotal evidence is pretty strong that people mm -hmm. who are unvaxxed are getting it once and once only. And, and you know, where's that? And, where's that um, coming from, John? Well, anecdotally. Okay. Oh, anecdotally, not, did you say? Sorry. Yeah. Anecdotally, anecdotally. Do we have, not, sorry to cut you off, do we have figures? This just hit me into my head. As far as I can see, New South Wales Health is the only one that's reporting this. Um, yes. we, we, we are getting a, uh, we are getting non anecdotal evidence of, uh, those who have died with the vaccine from COVID, is that correct? Well, New South Wales to their health, to, to New South Wales Health to their credit, and a couple of other jurisdictions around the world are publishing weekly data on who's going to hospital, who's going to intensive care and who's dying, mm. and breaking it down according to vaccination status, including Novax. And it's quite extraordinary. Uh, the, the numbers in New South Wales and in the other jurisdictions, which are still publishing it, which is not many, Scotland used to publish this data. Then the data went against the narrative. So then they decided, oh, we're just not going to publish it anymore. But New South Wales it, Health is publishing it. And we're typically seeing one or two people a week going to hospital who are unvaxxed. There must be at least 600,000 people in New South Wales that are unvaxxed. 
uh, when you include children, etc., uh, and you know, uh, and others, other people who haven't taken it, like myself. Uh, and so the um, so we're seeing that the people going to hospital and ICU is extremely low. Now there is roughly about ten people dying a week who are unvaccinated dying of COVID. Okay, which is sort of in line with the percentage of people that are unvaxxed. Okay, but if the narrative was true, if there was this medical miracle that was going to cure us all of our COVID, and but but you had five to ten percent of the people didn't take it, well, wouldn't wouldn't there be like a thousand dying a week? You know. And yeah, is- yeah, and uh, exactly right. And here are a couple of things I think that we can say are factu- factually accurate now that we're. Um, a little bit further down the track, you mentioned one of them earlier. Um, they presented COVID nineteen to the general public as something that was worse than it really was. Okay, that's point one. Yes. Point two is that they then said, if you want to get out of point A, right? If you want to get, it, if you want to stop point A, point one, sorry, which is that this thing is horrifically bad then you have to get vaccinated. That's the second lie. And at that point, you've got two lies that led to coercion of taking a pharmaceutical product uh, that made a small number of people extraordinarily wealthy. Hmm. I I see that they they are sort of incontrovertible facts. Absolutely. You don't need to be the epidemiologist to work this out. You just need to have your eyes open. And remember what these people have been saying. Now, I think a lot of people feel there's been so much ostracism if you have not gone along with the COVID and the vaccine narrative yep. that people are fearful. And it's a poor reflection on society that people could be so cowardly. Now, many of Australia's finest conservative uh, uh, public figures have been pretty good on saying, oh, we shouldn't have vaccine mandates and we shouldn't do that and COVID's been over-exaggerated and all this. But 90% of them still say, oh, but make sure you get your vax, mate, because they mm-hmm. don't want to step out of line that much because that's the thing that will really make you an outlier, okay? And I and it is cowardice. I'd never even heard of an, of an anti-vaxxer until about 2015. Mm-hmm. And it became very, it became sort of this reasonably big political issue, anti-vaxxers, anti-vaxxers. I just thought, well, these people uh, must be nuts. I thought they should be sort of left alone because, I mean, if they don't want to get vaxxed, then they can suffer the consequences. That was my thinking. Okay, but, I mean, I have read um, uh, Robert Kennedy's book, uh, okay, who is sort of like the, the Pope of the anti-vaxxers. And, uh, you know, look, it's pretty alarming. He says things like, you know, when, when he was a kid, there was two or three childhood vaccines. Now, by the time that someone gets the age of 20, they've had about 18 injections into them. Mm. And 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 and, uh, and the other thing that um, that Fauci spends a lot of time on his book. Oh, sorry, not that, but Kennedy t- talks a lot of time on his book about Dr. Fauci. He says when AIDS came out as a big issue in the mid '80s, and it was a big, big, big media issue, big political issue. There were a lot of doctors who were very, very upset about uh, you know, these young gay men dying in large numbers, and they were furiously running around trying to share data at, at the local level on how to how to sort of uh, what can be a cure here and there was people all around the world sort of an underground network sharing data and information but Fauci came along and said oh no 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 no, none of that works none of that works we're coming out with the vaccine we're coming out with the vaccine okay and so he he, he absolutely it was just like what he did with COVID 
He said, no, 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 ivermectin and all this other stuff. Now, I don't know whether ivermectin doesn't work or does work, okay? I do hear conflicting reports, and I like Alex Berenson's daily substack. He's sceptical of, of ivermectin. But at a minimum, we can all agree ivermectin is at least harmless. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's a wonder drug. Yeah. People have been four billion times people human beings have taken ivermectin so it's not going to hurt you yeah it's not but, like a ma- it's not like a magic mushroom that you've dug up from the soil or something that's right yeah, that's right it's it may be of no benefit or it might be a benefit but it, we know for a, for a fact it's not hurting us mm. okay and and then we know that there were credible doctors saying ivermectin works others said it didn't okay but the fact that they had to go down and just come down and crush anything to do with ivermectin or a few other ones that people were doing their own um, medical research with and you know that all had to be crushed because we all had to go along with the vaccine now you know in the washington post this morning nick i'm just going to read you out this tweet from the you know washington post doesn't get any more sort of corporate media than that they've said the biden administration is preparing to launch a coronavirus booster campaign with a new reformulated vaccine designed to provide stronger protection against the Omicron subvariants sweeping the country, the Food and Drug Administration. Oh, yeah, right, right. A whole new vaccine program's coming our way. And people will line up and get it. So let's get, the only way to stop this, I think, is, um, you know, we can now move into maybe this part part two, which, you know, of our conversation, which is, is in the same ballpark as part one. So we will talk more about vaccines, but what, We've got what I, the way I see it is now that the Australian government lied to the people about this, lied to us about the severity of COVID nineteen. They then used that lie to lock us down, take our liberties away and freedom, uh, impose police brutality on people, and then at the end of it, they said if you want to get out of that, you got to take this vaccine. So the Royal Commission that we've discussed here is. Uh, Politicians lied to the public about COVID nineteen. Then they use that lie to infringe on on liberties, um, and then they they held the Australian public hostage to get out of those, mm. I guess, co- complete curtailment of liberty. And in some cases, some of the personal stories that I've heard are horrific. Well, look, there's been 138 federal royal commissions since um, since Federation. I think there's been 15 this century. Now, a lot of these royal commissions have been about quite what look, looking back are quite obscure uh, matters, which were big deals at the time. Okay, but a lot of good has come out of a lot of these royal commissions. Okay, and the royal commission sort of, now, uh, whenever something big happens whether it's in Australia or elsewhere, there is a big inquiry into it. Now, in the United States right now, they're having the January 6th thing. Uh, then they, But after 9-11, they had a massive inquiry. After Kennedy was shot, they had a massive inquiry. Australia, after a major bushfire, usually has an inquiry. We've had lots and lots of different inquiries. Okay, now the, the, the having the calling it a Royal Commission gives, gives the inquiry a bit more power, a bit more prestige. Uh, people sort of, you know, have to listen to it. Politicians can't shut down royal commissions, which is important. Now, what we, why you would, it, it is an absolute no-brainer that there should be a royal commission into the entire COVID situation. Maybe they did a great job, and maybe then the royal commission can come out and say all the great things that they did. 
but maybe they can also come out and say, well, you know, they certainly got this wrong and they can they can compel witnesses and they can uh, subpoena documents. So if we get, we need to have a Royal Commission to see what did we get right and what did we get wrong? Now, the weird thing is there is no talk about it. Chris Yulman from Channel 9, who's been pretty good since COVID started, he wrote an, an op-ed recently saying, where's the inquiry into COVID? It's an absolute no-brainer. Even if we did everything right, that we, it was such a big event. There mm. must be such a big government event. We tripled the size of our debt. Uh, so we need to have an inquiry. But they do not want to have an inquiry, Nick, because they know all the lies. The lies would change every week. About They never came out. Now that, now that we're up to the, the we've had our four, four vaccines, we're up to the whole new program, they never, never any contrition about saying, oh, well, yes, yeah, sorry we got it wrong. We did tell you one would be a one 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 shot and you're done, uh, but no contrition. Uh, so that's why we need to have the Royal Commission. So a lot of followers of mine and listeners of this show who are very savvy for the most part um, have put forth a question on the Royal Commission, which I think is a, a reasonable one, and you've, you've, you've somewhat answered it there. Why, why should we have any trust? In that royal commission, uh, when it's right. run by right, so so talk about talk about the ways in which perhaps that could be um, an independently run investigation by people that are not connected into all the lies of the last two years, John. Okay, well look, that is a very good question, and I'm very sorry there is no great answer to it. I mean, it's probably no. a very good point because all power centres in our society have been fully invested in COVID hysteria. So obviously the political class, the public service, the corporate media, uh, the, the, the politicians, uh, every, academia, the police, the courts, every source of power has gone along with it. And all these big reputations are so invested in it. This is why they don't care that there's been an increase in overall fatalities, why about 15% higher than usual. They don't care about it. They don't want to look into it because it's going to hurt their reputations. Now, that is uh, not very good leadership. That's actually called corrupt leadership. They don't mm. care about the people. At, they don't want to have an inquiry if it's going to hurt their reputation. So I suspect it would take, uh, look, having the Royal Commission and they're un, the, the commissioner is unsackable, has a lot of power. We can only hope that they would be somebody acceptable. But um, it might take a little bit of time uh, before we can get a commissioner that we that the public can have faith in. What's the process, John, of a of a standard royal commission? Let's say you've said you've said there's fifteen in the last century. Um, uh, let's say the royal commission into um, child sex abuse. What's the process of that? I imagine it's an extremely long and uh, complicated process. Obviously, because there are so many witnesses, there's so much paperwork. Talk me through and the listeners through how that might work or does work, well, I should say. It's it, at face value, it's a it's an inquiry called by the Governor General, okay. But in reality, it's because the Prime Minister, the the leader of the executive government, has instructed or recommended to the Governor General that there be this inquiry. So it basically comes down to the Prime Minister. Now, I don't think Mr. Albanese is going to be interested in having one until the tide turns, and I think the tide is starting to turn on COVID mm. BS. Okay, but uh, so, and then the Prime Minister will respond to that. I mean, there have been many times Prime Ministers have called inquiries into things that have embarrassed them. Uh, one a recent example, John Howard had a lot of uh, public criticism over 
shipments of wheat to Saddam Hussein when they weren't meant to in the 1990s, and that came to light thanks to Julian Assange. And there's a lot of criticism of it. So Howard said, okay, well, let's have a royal commission into it. And the royal commission then was, uh, you know, unfavourable towards Howard. So it basically comes down to the governor general will appoint somebody who then has a lot of money, a lot of resources. If they call a politician, they have to come and appear. Uh, anybody has to come and appear. People have to hand over documents and there's no end date. There's a lot of power in the Royal Commissioner, but the one thing that keeps them hemmed in, hemmed in is, is their terms of reference. So they are given, okay, we want you to investigate these points. I've given a fair bit of latitude, but that is the process. Understood. So, so you can sort of see the scepticism in the in the eyes of, of yeah. the listeners. Yeah. Look, well, my attitude. Go ahead. We would need the mood of the country to change. So we should keep talking about the Royal Commission, but I suspect we're you know maybe a year or two away before we could have a degree of faith that it would be a reputable commissioner. I agree. And look, my attitude on it has hasn't changed. Is that I don't think it's if you if you focus your faith on something like that, then it's going to be not so good for your uh, demeanour, right? It's not going to be good for your demeanour because it's not going to be attainable within the short term. But things that are attainable is continually hammering um, the, the thousands of bureaucrats that, that probably for the most part inadvertently committed massive acts of malpractice or even crime. Uh, there's mm. a story on my page of on my Substack page, which is nicolt.substack.com, of uh, three, um, yeah, so there's three bureaucrats from Gold Coast Health in 2021, a video uh, giving advice to pregnant staff members to take the vaccine because there's no issues with it. That, that To me, that's a smoking gun. And th they're the sort of things that I'm going to continue to hammer. And I think that the problem I see is that too many people are trying to go for the big trophy, whether it be the WEF or whether it be mm. Bill Gates. Mm. Go for your local politicians because once they start to fall, mm. that's the bedrock underneath your, your more corrupt, higher politicians, and, and that's going to fall down too because these people, oh, jeez, did they do some, some terrible things without knowing it based on the back of just being really arrogant, dumb, uh, and cocky in governments that have been in their power for too long, like the Palaszczuk government. It's a culture thing. Oh, yes. It's, um, there were, it, it became like a religious cult, the vaccine. I mean, just the pressure, okay, and the ostrac and ostracising people. Now, in the United States, about 68% of people have had, had two jabs, and in Australia, it's, it's over 95% now, they've had two jabs. Now, uh, but the amount of people in Australia that have had three jabs is about 65%. So there's one in three Australians between two and three. And what is the difference is that they weren't coerced. Now, still a lot of the people who got the third jab and probably the fourth one now are taking it reluctantly because there still are quite a few employer mandates. I think Victoria, uh, Queensland Police this week came out and said, you know, you've got to have your fourth jab. Uh, but so it does show us that there's a lot, you know, probably about 10 million Australians out there which are not buying the COVID narrative uh, to some extent. And there used to be a year ago, people like you and me would be out there saying, well, you know, look, there should be, we've got our reservations about this whole thing. Uh, and we would get massive blowback from people. 
they they have ninety percent gone away now. The pe- yeah. some of the some of the biggest the radicals for the for the vax have gone very very quiet, and all their abuse has has sort of they've moved on to something else. They've moved on to Ukraine. I don't get many. I don't get nearly as many wacky woke COVID cultists dropping by my page, which is a bit of a shame yes. because it's always nice to see them. <laughs> well, they they can't admit error, Nick. You know, they, no, they, they can't. On quiet, but it's they pride. can't say, gee, gee, I was wrong. You know, I really did trust Dr. Fauci. He told me one vaccine, I wouldn't catch it. I've now had four and I've just had bad COVID. They can't admit error. There, 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 is, a, there is fundamentally a culture of lying at, at the bottom of this, this COVID cult. Oh, yeah. Lying to themselves, though, like any, any good, vac- any good um, uh, scam, right? You yes. just give us a little bit more and then you'll get this. No, we just need a bit more this time. I promise yes. you, you'll get it, but I need you to trust me so I can trust you. It's, it's psychology. Um, and the sooner that they, uh, many of them will not, but the sooner that I think I said on the other day, the sooner that good people start to realize that they were fooled, mm. the better, because it's actually not about them anymore. It's about their grandkids. Mm. Um, if you're at the point where you're going, oh, I don't know, should I mar- should I mask up my kid? No, you shouldn't. Why? Why? Why should you? You know, like what sort of? I don't need to give you an explanation for that. It's not good to put a face mask on a child when children have almost no chance of getting uh, really sick from COVID nineteen. Yeah, so this my, is the scam, my right? My two kids had it in the last week or two. You know, and they're both under the age of ten, and it wasn't great for about two days. But you know, hey, hey, we're going to die from it, and of course that is the case all around the world. We we knew from the very beginning, from the first few weeks of COVID, we knew who was vulnerable to this bad version of the flu: elderly and sick people. Okay, yes. so we we should, if we wanted to have lockdowns and government restrictions, we could have narrowly focused it on on them. But no, the whole world had to shut down because they wanted the hysteria, they wanted the great reset, etc. Yep. All right, let's move on to US politics right now, which is um, scintillating stuff. Unfortunately, it's, it's far more interesting. I shouldn't say unfortunately. It's actually, fortunately, it's far more interesting than Australian politics. Um, now, you want to talk about Ron versus Don. I, I feel like um, I quite like when you get a little bit of political wind behind you and you have a prediction or you have a feeling to make of, a, of something to make. And I don't want to go out on a... a a whim here and assume that you've made a decision here between these two. So I'm just going to ask you to sort of kick this part of the chat off uh, on what you'd like to talk about when it comes to Ron DeSantis and, and Trump, who should run for president, this sort of question. Go ahead. Well, there's two questions. So is who would be the best president out of those two and who who has the best chance of winning? Okay, now now with uh, Trump, okay, now I, I uh, have been following these January 6 hearings, okay, now I, and particularly by Tucker Carlson, I think that there is a strong case to be made that there were uh, very, very malicious elements within the intelligence agencies who were fueling it. This Ray Epps character, I think, got a lot of questions to answer. Now, but putting that aside, I, the lion's share of the blame for January the 6th belongs with Donald Trump. And I say that as a huge Trump supporter. 
And that is because after, and I've, I've, I've watched 2000 mules. I believe every single word of it. I think if anything, it understates the amount of ballot fraud. Now, Trump was badly advised uh, between the election and conceding, and then it was the Dominion voting machines, which always sounded like crap to me, uh, but, uh, but, and the mail-in ballots, okay? I mean, anybody who's been around the New South Wales Liberal Party knows that the factional, the factional corruption and all the factional power comes from mail-in ballots, okay? Because you can go and stand over people and say, give me a ballot paper, okay? And then the faction will reward you if you give me a ballot paper. Well, the, the Democrats did that across the mighty United States. They, yes. You know, okay, now, but so Trump got on the whole thing about the, um, the, uh, the Dominion voting machines and the voting machine crooked, okay, which sounded like crap. And after the Supreme Court in early December said, we are not going to investigate this, that was the end of it, rightly or wrongly. Wrongly in my view, but that was the end of it. And I was had been urging Trump between then and early January. I said, please, Mr. President, yes, you were robbed, uh, but let's live to fight another day. Okay, but he had to he had to go. Now I know it sounds crazy. Why would Donald Trump listen to me? Well, Donald Trump did retweet me once, and so did Donald Trump Jr. So it's not zero, not not a zero chance. Might have been close to it, but I about ten times I lost a lot of Trump supporters uh, from America who told me I was a, a sellout because I said, look, you just <laughs> got to concede this thing. It's over. But he go and, and having a, ra a a big rally on the day of the electoral college in the heart of DC was a combustible situation. So it, it's no question, it's a stain on his career. But it was only six months earlier that people like Pelosi and Biden, after George Floyd's death, came out and said on TV, "Rise up, rise up, rise up." I don't know why everyone's not rising up. So then there was like weeks and weeks of death and destruction. So let, I say they cancel each other out. Okay. America is in a tough position at the moment, you know, it goes through phases. It's in an angry phase at the moment. So mm. both sides, you know, both sides can bear some of the blame. Let's look at Trump's presidency. He had his hand tied behind his back the entire time. They invented the Russian collusion delusion and everything else. They impeached him twice over nothing. Okay. But it was a magnificent presidency mm. in terms of world peace in the Middle East with North Korea settling Russia down standing up to China. It was brilliant on foreign policy and it was very good on uh, domestic policy. He cut company taxes in a massive way. Wages for low income earners, which is a very important indicator, went up a lot under, under Trump, not under Obama. And so Trump was a magnificent president. I also think he's a fabulous person. I mean, look at his children. He's had three wives. All three wives like each other. Well, before Obama died recently, they all used to have Christmas together. That's yeah. Most people who've got multiple wives, their wives hate each other. Okay, and look at his terrific children compared to the Biden dregs. It's not just Hunter; it's Haley, the other one. You know, the what? She's just as bad. Um, you know, in and out of drug rehab. So, so Trump is a terrific guy who had his hands tied, and and now he's now. What's going to happen in 2024? I think the big problem Trump's got is he's shut up about it recently. He can't shut up about the vaccine. Okay, he used to get booed at his crowd. Trump came out with warp speed. Now he he was being so pressured by all the COVID hysteria that I sort of give him you know give him a bit of slack there. But because he was associated with the vaccine program, he can't come out and say okay, well maybe we rushed it. Okay, now on the other hand, we've got Ron DeSantis down there in Florida. You know, right now, Nick, out of the fifty states across America, forty nine of them are running an active government program to COVID jab 
six-month-old babies, 49 states out of 50, even the conservative states, Idaho, Wyoming, you know, Alabama, Mississippi, get your six-month-old kid back, get your six-month-old kid back. Now, the one state out of 50 that's not doing that is Ron DeSantis. He's saying, look, if you want to give your six-month-old a jab, you can go and get it, but we're not going to actively promote it to you. Okay, so so DeSantis is pretty good there. He's really taking on the, the woke stuff, okay, in a big way. Uh, I'm not so thrilled with Ron when it comes to the Ukraine situation where he basically is just going along with, oh, let's have war because Putin's next Hitler. Let's have a nuclear war with Putin. Uh, but anyway, look, they're two very good choices, but I, I feel pretty confident this is what's going to happen, Nick. Ron DeSantis is in his early 40s, okay? Um, he's letting the discussion run at the moment that he's thinking about running for president, uh, but he won't run for president because Trump's going to run and Trump's going to be the Republican nominee. That's what's going to happen. Mm. DeSantis is going to want to inherit the Trump vote at some point in time, not too far away, hopefully. So DeSantis is going to get re-elected as governor in about three months' time. Uh, I suspect he'll win pretty comfortably, which will be good. Then I think that he won't run. He won't get in. He won't sort of... All the Trump supporters aren't going to like Ron uh, if he runs against Trump. So Trump's going to be the nominee. Now, then, is he going to... Uh, but all that said, I think that if Ron was the nominee, Ron would have a greater chance of winning. I, I, and, that, and winning's very important. We can't have these lunatics, you know, with, with the left at their worst right now. We can't have them running America for too much longer. Okay, but, uh, look, I think that uh, if, if they clean up all these voting systems, uh, get rid of the mail-in ballots... Trump may very, may very well have a good chance of, of winning because it's going to be, you know, the Democrats are doing a, a bad job on absolutely everything, the economy, foreign policy, everything. America's looking terrible right now under these lunatics. Maybe Trump come, can, can come back, Nick, and if he does, it'll be the greatest comeback since the since Tiger. <laughs> I was going to say since Tiger Woods won the, ma the Masters in 2019. Well, that Look, was I'm, big. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm actually I'm actually mildly disappointed that I agree with most of what you said there. I was sort of hoping for a good Saturday afternoon debate. But um, look, I think that there's a couple of things that we need to look at first. One is that what do the people want, right? If you go to these, if you see these rallies that he's doing on an almost fortnightly basis now, they're massive. We're getting 50,000 people inside some of these with people queued up around the corner, right? To me, that's a no-brainer that they want the king back. Um, he's massive, wildly popular in the Republican Party, apart from the, the very small number of rhinos who, have, yeah. who are trying to sabotage him. Um, and in his eyes, he still believes, and I do as well, and by the sounds of it, you do, that there's no way Joe Biden won that election fairly. Now, knowing Trump, everything he's done in his life, the way he's done business, the books he's written, he, he, you know, the art of the comeback, never exactly. never get knocked, never let people knock you down. Like yes. This guy is an amazing human being. There's no two ways about it. I actually don't really care about his... Uh, character or bedside manner because I see him, him as a general uh, yeah. and I see that what we're fighting is really evil stuff. This Democrat party, especially the upper echelons of it and the people behind the Democrats, uh, this is one of the most evil 
political parties in modern history, without a doubt in my mind. Uh, that's my opinion. Um, how do I know this? Well, they're doing evil things, right? They're, let's just take the border, southern border, for example. Uh, there's around 700,000 undocumented people have come across that border so far this year. What they don't tell you is, in, is the amount of crime at that border, uh, raping, child, child abduction, child importation, smuggling, gun running, drug running. That's evil um, because there's a reason why nations need borders. Mm. It's not to be bigoted. Mm. It's mm. to prevent chaos and anarchy, mm. which is far worse, right? My other point briefly on that is that Trump, if he does believe that that, which he does, he says it at every rally, they stole it, we know it, and they stole it big league, then he won't be considering 2024 as an election for him to compete and win at, right? Unless that's part of his long-term game, I have to play the game. I suspect that after the 2022 midterms, which unless they have some other tricks up their sleeve, which I don't think they do, the Democrats, and this is a, just briefly, this is why Trump, in my opinion, why Trump spent so much time hammering the false election, the fraudulent election narrative, is to ensure that 2022 was not, did not receive the same treatment, right? So oh. 2022 is massive midterms in America, as you know, but for listeners that, that don't know, uh, this is big stuff because if they take back the House, Trump becomes the nom nominee. He's essentially the president again. Will he, will he wait till 2024, John? Uh, well, I think he'll have to. Now, the thing that I think that even more important than taking control of Congress in early November is on the same day they elect the state Congresses, Ohio, yes. Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona. Now, uh, and they, they've all got, you know, an upper House representatives and a Senate, a state Senate. Now, why that's important is unlike in Australia where we have federal election law set by the AEC, so you can be in Tasmania or Darwin and you're going to have exactly the same voting process. In America, each of the 50 states set their mm. voting procedures. Now, this is where they came out with the mail-in ballot BS, okay, which is how Biden won. Okay, they just got... A, now, all those people, there, there is an underclass in America, okay? There's you know, 30 million people who live pretty bad uh, under pretty bad conditions now uh, they all are on the government uh, database because they get welfare now a lot of those people don't vote typically they're drug addicts in the ghetto or something right or they're in they're doing something bad they don't even think about the election but what happened was with the mail-in ballots they all these people got here's your ballot paper here's your ballot paper here's your ballot paper and then democratic operatives walked around the ghetto and they said give us 10 bucks here's 10 bucks and give us your ballot paper and they said yeah deal no problem that's how biden won okay now that that was possible because we we're in the middle of the world's the greatest pandemic in the history of the world and we had to have mail-in ballots because it was just too dangerous lining up at the voting mm. voting booth now hopefully what's going to happen at these midterms is we're going to get the hell get all this mess cleaned up and all this pre-poll voting cleaned up okay so people just vote on election day like it was in the good old days and then, then that's how they can change it. Now, then in terms of can Trump become the president before 2024? Well, if they won massively, 
like they'd have to have two thirds, I think, of the Senate, and two th- uh, they'd have yeah they could impeach the president, but then it has to go to the Senate. So I think that's going to be pretty much impossible. But we can certainly have a lot of inquiries. But look, Nick, I do have to admit I am a little bit worried that this red wave ain't coming. I know that all the right wingers, including myself, up until recently thought. Republicans are going to win by a mile. It's not in midterms, and it's not just Republicans. It's Trump Republicans, the best type. Uh, but the problem is, since Roe versus Wade, if you go to the real clear politics voting, how are you going to vote, intend to vote in the House of Representatives? There has been a shift back to the Democrats. Okay, so yeah, yeah. and they'll pull more, and they'll pull more ideological stunts before twenty twenty two for sure. Yes, I think that with DeSantis. My personal opinion was that if I were Trump, I would need the general. I would want DeSantis as a prefect of the you know of the Roman army, a prefect in Florida. He needs him as a stronghold in Florida until say twenty twenty eight, because he is really doing well in Florida. There's no doubt absolutely. about it. Oh, I wouldn't want to take him out of that position yet. He's young. Well, that is a good point, isn't it? Even if he just runs as his VP. Uh, it's going to sort of take him out as being the governor of Florida. And he's doing, he's he's providing an example, not just for the other American states, but for us in Australia and around the world, Ron DeSantis is showing us what leadership can be like. So, uh, yeah, look, I hope Ron DeSantis runs for president in 2028. Um, and I, I, I know he's going to keep talking about it. A lot of experts on Fox News and experts are saying, oh, DeSantis, DeSantis. I think he's smart enough not to run for president. I think on this occasion. Yeah, I do too. And I see it as people um, wanting to to be smart and distance themselves, smart not in the good sense, and distance themselves from Trump, knowing like, oh, I'm smarter, I know it's going to happen here. When I think more people, and of course I'm not talking about you, John, but people just have to accept whether you like that bloke or not. He was an absolute warrior for everything that we're now benefactors of, which is people waking up, people being, he's not the causal agent, but he, geez, he did a lot. Absolutely. He was just, just sort of, you know, a, a citizen that walked in off the street and became the president. Uh, there's you know, every other president was either previously a politician or a general. Generals were very political in the 19th century, George Washington, you know. Uh, so Trump was sort of like the democratic ideal where he's somebody who's been successful in life, and he just, towards the end of his career, he says, I think I can now act as, as a public service. Yeah. And, you know, you, you know, every every three days, there would be some new crisis, some major, major crisis about Trump. It was all, it was all, it was all like manufactured by the media and everything, of course. Yeah, and then, then we have then, Total BS, absolutely. And now we have Joe Biden as the president, who's now got terrible polling. But think about how really bad he is, because you've still got the media doing everything they, they can to pump him up, but he's still yeah. got totally crap polling, worse than Trump. Oh, he's a disaster. There's no two uh, Not just a disaster for the United States, but for the Western world. I mean, look at what's happened since he's been elected. It's extraordinary. First in Afghanistan and then uh, the southern border. And he's just and now, of course, inflation, which he's blaming on Putin. Uh, but that's another topic. John, I want to give you the floor here for the last sort of five or so minutes um, to talk about the Liberal Democrat Party and, and more more specifically um, the the major sorry the um, the minor 
right centre parties that perhaps didn't do as well as they would like to have in the election. Um, I think that there's a f- plenty of people who follow me that also were a bit surprised. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Where's what happened in the election, and and what what do you think is needed going forward for uh, a genuine coalition of conservative and libertarian voters to have their say? Well, look across the six states between the three sort of major minor right parties, you know, the United Australia Party, One Nation, and the Liberal Democrats. If their three votes combined you know, delivered, if they were one party, it would have delivered a Senate spot in six states. And that means come the next federal election, we would potentially have had 12 senators in there. That would have been a pretty good block. Uh, and there's a lot of goodwill between the UAP, the Lib Dems and One Nation and other good little parties on the right. Um, uh, there's another, another sort of four or five of them. And we're all sort of, everyone gets along pretty well, which is unusual because we're all sort of competing for largely for the same pool of votes. So then the question is, well, are we, if it was, uh, if the, the, the three larger ones became one entity, would it be the case of one plus one plus one equals four? Uh, so it would be the, the, the sum would be greater than the parts. I think that probably is the case. But look, we have the, the two biggest states have got an election around the corner. So we've got Victoria in November and we've got New South Wales in March. We can't really uh, do anything prior to then. Everything, the parties are registering everything for those elections. Hopefully, the Liberal Democrats will overperform in both those parties and we can keep from there going from strength to strength. Uh, I have been immensely impressed with the Liberal Democrats. I mean, I had been in in and around the Liberal Party for three decades. And, you know, there's a lot of people in there which are sort of motivated by their own careers and not many people that are interested in, in ideas, political ideas about what's best for the next generation. Now, the Liberal Democrats is just full of really bright people and uh, very, very good people. And so I feel very at home there. Um, now, if there were ever to be some type of a close to cooperation, I think what would have to happen is we could, um, uh, you know, I think the Liberal Democrats have sort of have got the lead on economic policy. I think we'd have to concede to Pauline Hanson, you know, uh, she could have a larger say on immigration policy and some cultural issues. And and then the United Australia Party, well, they have a very good name, the United Australia Party, and they've got lots of fired up good people there. So, look, I and now now we have we have Peter Dutton as the prime as the leader of the opposition. Now, Peter Dutton is a much better human being than Scott Morrison. Okay, but I don't have much faith that uh, Peter Dutton is going to be like a Margaret Thatcher type figure and really turn things around. Um, I hope I'm wrong, uh, but I think you'd, you'd have 20% of Liberal and National MPs in Australia at the state and federal level are very good. Thinking of Canavan, Antic, Rennick, Craig Kelly before, George Christensen before, there, and there's others. There's, there are others that are good. And I think that you do have all the ingredients there uh, to put together a powerful political force, which could actually quite quickly replace the Liberal National Party. Um, but Difficulty with that is I think it is important for Australia to have a purist libertarian voice somewhere on the political spectrum. I think it's good for the country. If there was a merger, then we would not have the Liberal Democrats, which in many ways is sort of ahead of the curve on economic policy and other policy. I mean, we've been talking about 
nuclear for 10 years and now you know mm-hmm. nuclear is every people want to talk about nuclear everywhere and other issues as well and in terms of uh, the problem i see john in terms of of implementing a libertarian approach to the australian government is just how intertwined we are now with the wef the who basically the un right i mean yes. a lot of the policies that we're involved in the australian people have had no idea about any of this until up till about a year ago and even then it's probably 10 percent of the population are aware of it now yes my question well, would well. be my, my question would be uh do you see this as a problem and and if so how do we start to pull back from this we saw president trump do it by cutting funding look it is possible that over the last sort of 250 years of basically capitalism dominating the western world that we've become so rich and successful and fat and lazy and cowardly that maybe we are on a decline phase okay and there's not much we can do about it but all i think of nick is we've just got to give it our best shot to try and turn the ship around okay now and we may end up wasting our lives because maybe the titanic's going down but i'm thinking look we were born in this era all we can do is do our very best to fight to preserve small government and freedom and let's see what happens now it's pretty disappointing that after the australian government locked down the australian people for the best part of two years uh, that you still had 85 percent of people didn't vote for a quote unquote freedom party i'm thinking okay something's wrong something's wrong it's not uh something's wrong with the voters i'm sorry to say yeah where they could just i would have thought that there was a lot of people out there who might have told the pollster they were going to vote liberal or labor but in that voting booth we're going to say no 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 there's no way i can put up with this crap again but no they all they all seem to do it so let we just got to keep rolling up our sleeves keep doing our best keep fighting be prepared to suffer the consequences uh but you know i i, I am reasonably hopeful that right now we're going to look back at 2002 as the nadia as the bottom of or the peak of the lunacy that's where i think we're at right now peak lunacy and it's only going to get better if i'm wrong nick they're going to have people like you and me down with the guillotine and martin place within 10 years and they're going to say you know we've got to kill these heretics and if it gets to that nick I'm bring it bring it on bring it on that's right, that's right. yeah i'll take it uh, yes. mate it'll take because it'll take 50 of them and a whole panel of losers and bureaucrats to stand around or they tie you down you just look at them and see how cowardly they are we're all going to die eventually john is it the voter or or is it a combination of the voter and also that these three minor parties which in my opinion quite failed in having a very clear message and what i mean by that is the left are better at organization you know the left can get a clear like the teal voters right they did very well to me freedom was just a bit too ambiguous it was a bit too um wishy-washy how how do we how do we make it so that the voters know exactly why they're voting for these minor part this minor party potential coalition i mean there's no real answer to that yet but well look i when it comes to the liberal democrats i would guess only one in ten australians are consciously aware that the Liberal Democrats exist as a small government libertarian party. I, I truly believe it's only one in 10. Now about 25% of them voted for us. Now of that 10%, half of them will be 
activists in other parties or journalists or people in the political sphere in some. So we're only dealing with a very small number of people who actually say, yeah, okay, there's a libertarian party out there. I know what libertarianism is. I know that these people are anti-woke, they're pro-small government, they're anti-climate skeptics. And so I think we actually have, uh, for the amount of people that know about us, I think we actually you know, got a reasonably good vote. I think we've mm. got a pretty good chance. I think it's it's looking probable, more than possible, but probable that we're going to get one or two people elected to the New South Wales Upper House next March, which will be good. Hopefully we can get uh, a handful elected at the Victorian election in November. Uh, look, I think that there's got that look, the corporate media in previous federal elections would find out, would, would sort of hunt down the candidates from the minor right parties, go and find somebody in a hard luck seat, go and dig through their Facebook, see something stupid that they said five years ago and then make that a big story, okay, in the yeah, corporate very, media. very dishonest people. They are. But on this occasion, Nick, they didn't even do that. They didn't want to give us any publicity. They didn't want to attack us. They didn't want to, they didn't want to, they just wanted to completely ghost us. Mm. Okay. And that, that, that is what happened. I mean, we wouldn't have even minded some negative media. We didn't get any media. They just didn't pay any attention to us. Now, um, so look, we'll, uh, and this is one of the arguments in favour of, of a, you know, closer cooperation or a merger or something in that, if we'd, we'd then have 10 to 15% of the country in our pocket, which would you know, make us at least equal to the Greens, if not more. And then then that would be, um, you know, we would have to, you know, we would have a parliamentary presence at that point and we'd have, they couldn't ignore us. So that is an argument in, in favour of, of closer cooperation. Indeed. It's good to see you uh, are still fighting, mate, and I'm sure you'll continue to do that for the rest of your life. Uh, John Ruddick, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Good on you, Nick. Thanks very much for having me, mate. Enjoyed it. That was Liberal Democrat Senate candidate in the 2022 federal election, John Ruddick. You can find this episode along with all other episodes at nickholt.substack.com. Today is the last day to get a discount, 20% off uh, yearly and monthly subscriptions. So if you can, please do that because it supports my work and helps me stay online and do what I do. Hope you have a wonderful Saturday afternoon. My name's Nick Holt and you've been listening to the Nick Holt podcast.